I'll be reading this morning from Psalm 42. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When, I, when can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for the joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from the distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. O God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones, they scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Debbie, I was, uh, it's kind of neat to hear you say that as an athlete, as a basketball player, you don't, you don't remember you said this, but you bounced around from place to place. <laughs> that was pretty good. We caught it. You bounced around. Thank you, Debbie. God bless you this fall as you head off to McGill University to study law. It's awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Some of you are parents this morning that have uh, students uh, in Belize. Our Metal Art Christian School uh, sent about 35 students this Friday morning, and uh, teachers and parents, and they're having a great nine days in Belize serving and having an experience there that is going to be very, very unique and perhaps life-changing for them. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, or phone, or uh, you might turn to uh, Psalm 42. Psalm 42. How do you coach your soul? How do you coach your soul? I came across a little story many years ago, and in fact, I know I've shared it with you on several occasions. A story told by uh, Reverend Peter Marshall, the, chapel, uh, the chaplain of the United States uh, Senate back in the late 40s. And he loved to tell the story of the keeper of the spring, a story about a man who lived high above the uh, Austrian uh, village along the eastern slopes of the Alps. And the old gentleman had been hired for uh, many years uh, by a young town council to clear away the debris uh, from the pools of water up in the mountain crevices that fed the lovely spring flowing through their town. And so he would clear away the dead leaves and branches that would contaminate the flow of water. And then that crystal clear water would flow down into the village and vacationers uh, were attracted to the village. The village was supplied with wonderful drinking water and they, they even had irrigation water in addition. 
But one night at a uh, town council meeting, one man said, why, why do we pay that uh, old man to keep the spring clean? We don't even know him. I don't think we need him. So they released him. And for several weeks, nothing changed. By early autumn, the trees began to shed their leaves and small branches snapped off and fell into the pool, uh, hindering the rushing flow of sparkling water. And one afternoon, somebody noticed just a slight tint of uh, a yellowish brown in the, in the water. Within a couple days, that, that tint was much darker. Within another week, a slimy film covered sections of the water along the banks and a foul odor was detected. Swans left the area, uh, as did the tourists. Disease and sickness began to become more apparent. And then quickly, the embarrassed town council called a special meeting. Realizing their error in judgment, they found the necessary money. They hired back the old keeper of the spring, and within a few weeks, the river of life began to clear up. New life returned to that hamlet in the Alps once again. The stream was pure, children played on its banks, the vacationers came back, and the village came back to life. The life of a village depended on the health of the stream. Friends, the stream is your soul, and you are the keeper of the stream or the soul in your life. So this morning I want us to think about paying attention to the soul, to the whole person. Now often in our staff meetings we just ask the question simply, how are you? And we all know what it means. It might mean how is your health. It might mean uh, physically, but primarily it means how's your soul? We find it easier to talk about our bodies. Oh, I got a headache today, or my, my foot hurts, or my shoulder hurts, or whatever. I'm struggling with some physical affliction. So to ask, how are you, and mean, how is your physical health, is one thing. To ask, how is your soul, is quite another thing. How do you answer that? I won't do this this morning, I don't think. But if I was to ask you to turn to your neighbor right now and ask, how is your soul? There might be some long pauses, and it might feel a little awkward, so I won't do that. But how do I answer that question? How is your soul? How is my soul? I mean, what words would I use? Uh, who, who would I tell these confidential areas of my life? Who could I trust? Eugene Peterson, the guy who did the Message Bible, wrote, he said, I had a pastor when I was a teenager, when I was an adolescent, who always greeted me with, how are things with your soul today, Eugene? And he said, the question always left me stuttering and tongue-tied. I hardly knew I had a soul. Mostly, he said, I had hormones, but a soul. So he wasn't too fond of that question. Well, actually, it, it's a question that cuts right through to the core of who we are. 
How is your soul? Which means everything about you. How is your person? The tiniest little New Testament book called Third John it starts with an intriguing little prayer. And he writes, To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friends, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Wow. Isn't that an interesting comment? Even as your soul is getting along well. Not just that you're doing fine physically, hope you're healthy, but I pray that your soul is also doing well. So I just invite you to spend a few moments with me now in Psalm 42 as we think about the longings of the soul. First of all, our soul satisfaction is in God alone. Our soul satisfaction is in God alone. Uh, parents love it when their children eat their veggies. You that are, have little kids right now, uh, that's really a pleasure to you, I think. I hear it all the time. Uh, you need to take eight veggies and put them on your plate and eat them. And sometimes it's ten. Ten. Parents are really tough these days. Ten veggies in one meal? You want your kids to put ten veggies on the plate? Speaker Mike Benson tells how one night uh, at his family, as his family was finishing dinner, that his eight-year-old uh, daughter left six green beans on her plate. Now, she normally ate all her veggies, and Mike did not usually allow this sort of thing uh, to bother him, but this night he was irked, and he said to her, eat your green beans. She replied, Daddy, I'm, I'm full to the top. You won't pop, he responded. Yes, I will pop, she said. Risk it, he said. It will be okay. Dad, I could not eat another bite. Well, Mike knew that they were, what they were having for dessert and that it was her favorite dessert, pumpkin pie squares. So he asked, how would you like a double helping of pumpkin pie squares with two dollops of whipped cream on top? Oh, sounds great, she said, and she pushed back from the table and her plate, ready for dessert. How can you have room for a double helping of pumpkin pie squares with two dollops of whipped cream and not have room for six measly green beans? Well, she stood up tall out of her chair and pointed to her belly and said, this is my vegetable stomach, and this is my meat stomach. They're both full. And this is my dessert stomach. It is empty. I am ready for dessert. See, what we eat reveals what we hunger for. What we drink reveals what we thirst for. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? We, we often sing that beautiful worship song that originates from this passage. You'll recognize it. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul 
longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. It's a beautiful image. The psalmist thirsts for God like a deer thirsts for water in the desert. Have you ever walked through the desert? It's quite an experience just to walk through the desert. Water's a scarcity. And then suddenly you may come upon a uh, little oasis. And the water brooks, you see, are, are springs which flow continually through subterranean rivers. And in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, Jesus promises that those who come to him and drink will actually have those subterranean streams flowing from their hearts. It's a beautiful picture. And by this he meant that the Holy Spirit would be given to believers and streams of living water flowing out from us because of the Spirit of God. It's beautiful, and we, we sang about that this morning, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit invades your life and fills your life, He flows through your life, and He brings refreshing to your own heart and to the hearts of others. In verse 2, it says, My soul thirsts for God. The psalmist talks about his soul, meaning his person. So friends, the soul is the deepest part of you. This is why writers in the ancient world, not just in the Bible, but there too, would often address the soul in the third person in a way they would never do with the will or the mind or the body. They'll say things like, bless the Lord, O my soul, almost like talking outside of yourself. Or a few verses later here in Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? There's a depth to your soul that is beyond words. I don't know about you, but we seem to be getting used to the tragedies of life. Of Syria, of Belgium, of France, of Turkey, of Greece. And we seem like we can flip from one TV channel to another. We see the pain and the grief from children and parents as they escape Syria. They risk their lives to get on those flimsy boats to get over to Greece. They get stopped, they get loaded on planes, and they get flown back to Turkey. And it's like, ha! Huh. It is agonizing to see the depth of suffering in our world. And that's our souls. Our souls cry out in anguish. It is the deepest part of who we are. The soul is that way. I mean, often we live such surface lives then something happens to us. There's a crisis that comes to our lives. There's a birth. There's a death. Uh, and we get this glimpse of this tremendous depth within us. You see, the soul can never do shallow. There is a depth to you. Words cannot describe. In chapter 7, verse 11, in the book of Job, the great book of suffering, Job says, I will speak to you uh, out of the bitterness of my soul. I mean, he was so, he was so in grief. and I mean, it was just everything about him was consumed. 
So he says, I will speak out of the bitterness of my soul. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, says the psalmist. And this verse reminds us that our souls are longing for satisfaction, but it seems to be the battle of our lives because we tend to want to satisfy our soul with things that don't satisfy. Is that not right? We, we, we live in a restless world. We move quickly from one thing to another to, to another to see if, well, maybe that'll do it. Maybe that'll satisfy. Well, they say confession's good for the soul. So maybe we could do a mass confession this morning. If you are ever uh, dissatisfied, whiny, cranky, pouty, I mean, we could all put up our hands, right? Some days we're out of sorts. We're frustrated because we have to carry what we have to carry. Why does this fall to me? Have you ever come home dissatisfied with your work? Never. I know. Have you ever said, I hate my job? Never. You've never said that. By the way, if you want to Google something interesting, just for fun, Google 10 worst jobs in the United States and Canada, and then Google the 10 happiest jobs in Canada and the United States. I'm not going to tell you the results of that research. You can do it. Only to say <clears throat> that the clergy took the first place in the 10 happiest jobs. Really? Really? I have a happy job. I was taken back. I was delighted. Actually taken right off guard. I have to tell my clergy friends, stop complaining. We have a great job. And they were followed by uh, firefighters in second place. 80% of firefighters are very satisfied with their jobs, which involves helping people. Teachers were on the list. Special ed teachers were certainly on the list. And the point was well made that it isn't always the best paying job that brings us satisfaction. It isn't always the job with the highest social status. Sometimes we get boxed in. The bureaucracy, the high expectations, that we lose all of our joy and, ex and satisfaction. And you see, what happens there is the soul gets squeezed. Well, they found people in the happiest jobs had a higher sense of meaning. Less money, less status, but a higher sense of meaning. And the main thing you bring home from your work is not a paycheck. The main thing you bring home from work is the soul. See, work is a soul function. We're made to create value. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing better for a person than that he should make his soul enjoy good in his work. The writer says, this too, I see, is from the hand of God. So even work brings value to the soul. But we, we find all kinds of things to be dissatisfied with. I mean, some are dissatisfied because they're married, and some are dissatisfied because they're not married. Someone said we get dissatisfied with our hairline and our waistline and our bottom line. And it's very true. It could be any one of those things. And yet we have more resources, more gadgets, more techie stuff, bigger bank accounts than any generation in history. And yet we still feel the lack of satisfaction. Where is our only satisfaction? 
And it's a communion with God himself. My soul pants for you, O God. What the soul truly desires is God. We may fill that, that need, that vacuum with other things, and we do it all the time, but we have to come right back and say, ah, oh, it's not what does it. The soul will never be satisfied without God. There's a verse that says, my soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. So one of our most helpful pictures is to see ourselves as needy before God. Our souls need healing. Our, our souls need refreshment. Our souls need health. Our souls need wholeness. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My satisfaction is in him alone. So first, the satisfaction of the soul. Secondly, our souls are resilient through the hard times of life. They just need a little coaching. Our souls are resilient through the hard times of life. They just need a little coaching. Psalm 42. My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, I'm not really sure of the context out of which the psalmist speaks. But I know it's easy to see he's going through a hard time in his life. Something has happened, and it almost appears like he's feeling the absence of God in his life. Now, there are times when that just seems to happen. You know, I don't know if you experience it, but the heavens are strangely quiet. We don't have a sense of God's leading. Some call it the dark night of the soul. Some people just say it's a desert time. I feel like I'm walking through the desert. I mean, we know deep down that God hasn't left us, but we feel isolated. We feel discouraged. I think we've all been there. I've been there. I, I, I never have ever felt that God has absolutely left. It's just more of a desert time, just a hard time. Perhaps the psalmist hasn't been able to go on the annual pilgrimage to celebrate at the house of the Lord. That seems to be what he's, one of his issues. Uh, something has laid him aside. And he reflects back to happier days when he was able to go. His, his memory only reinforces his sadness and his longing. And he misses the worship times. He's, he feels like, oh, I'm, I'm missing all of that. I'm just not part of that group anymore. He's missing the celebration of joy. And his heart is sad. In fact, if you read it carefully, it appears like from the New International Version, that he would lead the procession to the house of God, right? So maybe that's a clue. The fact that he was no longer in the leadership role. And maybe it's David himself. And maybe it is him out in the caves. They're hiding. And King Saul is seeking his life. And he's no longer able to be back in the house of, of God. He's not, not able to be back leading the procession to the house of God. I don't know. But he remembers those wonderful times. 
And this picture of the sense of deep loss raises these questions about worship. Do we even remember our worship? I mean, if it were taken from us, would we experience grief? Because that's what the psalmist is experiencing. He's, he's just not able to be part of this. <clears throat> you know, sometimes it's easy to come to worship and be more like spectators than participants. Uh, maybe even the presence of other people may inhibit us from worshiping more than assisting us. I hope that's not true. But, but praise God for every time we come to worship, that we're growing, that we're becoming a little more familiar with uh, worship, a little more relaxed, a little more able to enter into worship and forget about ourselves and focus on our, our hearts to engage. And so the psalmist begins to question himself and his spiritual condition. And he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? It's kind of cool that you can stand outside of yourself and ask questions of yourself. It's like he's talking to himself and his self is 10 feet away. Hey, over there, my soul. Hey, uh, what's bugging you? Why are you so upset? What's got you down? I mean, it's a deep perspective, isn't it? To, to kind of talk outside of yourself. It's, it's called constructive self-talk. And Soren Kierkegaard writes... Our greatness and our pain is that we can transcend ourselves and become self-conscious of our own being. Oh, he says it so much better. Don't you hate it when people say it so much better? It just sounds so profound when he says it. He stands outside himself and says, Why are you discouraged? Why are you agitated? And then he gives himself the prescription. Come on, soul. Hope in God. Come on, soul. Trust God. Come on, soul. Believe that God will restore you. God will deliver you from your brokenness. And he will make his face shine on you once more. I love that. Do you hear it this morning? Maybe you need to hear this this morning. Hey, soul. Hey, soul. What's up? What's up? What's going on? Trust God. Hope in God. He'll deliver you from your brokenness and your pain. He knows what you're about. He knows what you're going through. He has it. He has it. Our souls are resilient through the hard times of life. Often they just need a little coaching, a few reminders. I mean, you can talk to yourself and say, oh, you are hard-pressed, man. It's not fair. I think you ought to lash out against somebody. I mean, you know the story of Atlas and in Greek mythology, and he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. And that gets pretty heavy after a while. And you just look at people walking down the street, and you look at people driving in their vehicles, or you look at their faces, and you can almost feel like they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. Why do we carry a heavy load? I just, it's a, it's a good question. When you think about that question, you realize that our concern is about how things are going to turn out. That's why we carry a heavy load, because we're not sure of how things are actually going to turn out. How does all of this impact my life? Is it going to bring me sorrow and sadness? How's this going to turn out? Is it going to bring me financial loss? 
Is it going to bring me a loss of financial power, or personal power, or reputation? And when you think of all the outcomes, you feel the heaviness. This is really all about outcomes. I'm, I'm going to try to figure out the outcome, and it is making my soul downcast. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? I'm often reminded of the story of Dallas Willard, and I reflect upon it myself often after preaching or uh, teaching a sermon. The old enemy will, will, will try to uh, throw darts at any speaker after he or she has finished a message or teaching a class or, or whatever. Comments like, oh, you really missed the mark on that. You shouldn't have said that. I mean, all those comments, all that playing back of the video. It gets a little easier as the years go by. But I learned from Dallas Willard that you and I don't have to carry the burden of outcomes. And the story is that after Dallas Willard, sorry if that's a new name, theologian, philosopher, deeply committed servant of God, went home to a few years ago to, to be with the Lord. But after Dallas speaks, he would, he's just become so accustomed to transferring it all over to God that he walks away and he whistles or he sings a hymn quietly to himself. In other words, he's not second-guessing. How did that go? Was I okay? Did I say that just right? He just gives it to God and trusts him for the outcomes. And I love that. I'm not there yet, but that's what I would desire. But Dallas Willard was all about helping people from the depths of his soul. He was all about help investing in people's lives, unconcerned for himself, just wanting to be used of God. And after he had delivered the goods, he'd just walk away and whistle. Like, God, it's yours. Uh, the outcomes are yours. I just did what I needed to do, and the outcome is yours. So are you ready for a challenge in the next seven days? What are the outcomes that you can't control? What are the outcomes that you can't control? Do you have to give a presentation this week at work? A little concerned about it? What does everybody think? What are they going to think about me? You don't have to carry that burden. Once it's done, it's done. Not saying you don't prepare. Do you have an exam this week? Well, once you've prepared, you've done, you, you've done it. Not saying you don't prepare. <laughs> Do you have a situation in your life that means caring for somebody else? Caring for somebody else. Do what you can do. Figure that out. And also say, but I trust the outcomes into God's care. You ask about your vocation, your career, your plans for the future. You can't control all the outcomes, but you can put them into God's hands. Concerned about aging? Concerned about a family member? Concerned about a child? A spouse? You can't control the outcomes, but you can give it to God, and you can just trust Him for the outcomes. And that takes us back to Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for what? For your souls. For your souls. In Psalm 42, verse 8, we have these words, By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And it becomes a little clearer from the message version. When my soul is in the dumps, I, re I rehearse everything I know of you. And I, I think that's a great statement. When the soul is in, my soul is in the dumps, I rehearse everything I know of you. I start to reflect on the goodness of God and the character of God. From Jordan depths to Hermon Heights, including Mount Miser, chaos calls to chaos to the tune of whitewater rapids. Your breaking surf, your thundering breakers crash and crush me. Then God promises to love me all day, sing songs all through the night. My life is God's prayer. And I get the sense that the psalmist puts his rapid pace on hold and he reflects. He slows down and he hears the voice saying, Son, I will love you all day. I will love you all night long and I'll put a song in your heart. That's the marvelous work of God. To love you all day. To love you all through the night. To put his song in your heart. Uh, and and to, to care for you. As someone has said, your soul can be all right when everything in your world is all wrong. Your soul can be all right when everything in your world is all wrong. Remember those encouraging words from Peter uh, to his little flock. You never saw him, yet you love him. You still don't see him, yet you trust him with laughter and singing because you kept on believing you'll get what you're looking forward to, total salvation. Salvation means healing. Salvation means soul satisfaction. Soul renewal at the deepest part of who you are as a person. Because sooner or later, all of our worlds get cracked. They fall apart. Because this is a temporary world. This is not our final dwelling place. We can't live in this world without cracks in life. Even some major fractures. But praise God, our souls are resilient through the hard times of life. They just need a little coaching. So would you stand with me, please? Lord, only you, only you, We look in so many different directions, just kind of hoping that maybe we'll snag something that really will connect with us. But eventually we get it, that it's only you. Only you can satisfy the deepest part of who we are. So Father, forgive us our straining to go in this direction and to go in that direction. Grow us up and help us, Lord, to see your picture of who you want us to be. Give us wisdom to talk to ourselves with encouraging words, to hear your voice, and then to apply your words to our souls and our lives. We ask that you would bless and guide each one, Lord, on whom these words fall today. You know our journeys, and uh, we trust you to do the work that you so long to do. In Jesus' name.